Welcome everyone to Kingdom in Context, and I'm Sean. I just want to do a quick little audio check for the live chat. Guys, can you hear me well? Could you hear the intro videos well? Let me know. Let me know. I'm trying to get my audio on my side set up um, through my headphones, but it doesn't look like it's happening. So let me know if you can hear that. Just waiting on people in the live chat. I want to welcome everyone. All right, some people are saying no echo, sounds good, audio's good. Okay, all right, guys. Um, so, yeah, I just want to welcome everyone to this uh, afternoon live stream, guys. We just want to talk about uh, the Trinity once again. How many times have we had to talk about this in the last several years, right? Um, how much bad fruit have we seen out there from this specific doctrine when people are... Um, People are forced, saying that you must believe it to be in covenant with Christ, to be in faith as a disciple, and to serve the Father through the discipleship of Christ. They say you must believe in this Trinitarian concept, but what is it really that they're describing? And that's where you've seen me have some interactions um, to the best I can, as, as much as they will actually allow me to have the interaction. Um, because as you've probably seen a lot of those interactions, uh, the other side of the aisle gets so upset that they conversation goes off the rails, and so that's not good fruit, right? Why? With this particular doctrine, why specifically that fruit rears its head so often? The arguments get conflated, the deflections come up in mass, um, the misrepresentations to restate a straw man argument so that you waste 20 minutes in a conversation just trying to get them to understand what you're actually saying because there's a, it's, I, I don't know if it, I don't want to assume it's intentional because I don't want to assume malice, um, um, out of cowardice, but I would just say it's, you know, it's the cogdis. I mean, it's like the, the, you try to tell them, Hey man, I'm, you've been calling this thing purple this whole time, but I'm trying to tell you it's a Royal blue and, uh, it's verifiably according to its color grade, it's Royal blue. And you're like, no, no, it's purple. Why do you keep calling it yellow? And I'm like, I didn't say it was yellow. I said it was blue. You've been calling it purple. I called it blue. And then you said, you're claiming I called it yellow. So this, that kind of weird disconnect in the conversation that comes up with this type of topic, and specifically this type of topic. As you guys have watched our channel for years, if you've been with us, you've seen that we address all types of topics from Scripture. And um, the shape of the earth and the Trinity seem to be um, just right up there at the top two as far as the amount of confusion that pops up in the conversation, um, as well as the... Uh, the refusal to hear the other side's arguments. And instead, they just waste time reframing your argument poorly or completely maligning the argument altogether. Now, for a while, I thought that it was just because people were prideful and didn't want to hear opposing arguments that gave pushback to their view. But the more I've, the more I've done this, the more my heart has softened towards 
the Trinitarians as far as being patient with them because um, I realize that they are, and this is what I want to encourage for everyone out there, let your heart be soft towards our brethren in the faith who disagree with you. Pray for them. Um, continue to sow the word like we always talk about here in Mark 4.14. The sower sows the word, and we're just going to trust that the Father comes along and waters. But, um, but as far as interacting and dealing with this topic, I think, I think I've truly gotten down to its core root problem. So that's what I want to talk about here today. We're going to review a couple videos um, uh, and talk about some concepts from the past. We're going all the way back to ancient Greece. We're going, we're going to 12th century Maimonides. We're going to talk about the Trinity today, guys. We're going to talk about the root cause, the spirit behind the Trinity, and uh, because we're seeing some very wacky and unholy fruit coming out of this topic amongst believers. I've, I've, watched, I've watched apologetists... Uh, Men who go and do street apologetics, I've watched them show more love, patience, and mercy towards atheists, agnostics, and people of Islam than they do their fellow, fellow brethren in the faith that may want to ask them questions because they don't understand the Trinity or how it's being explained by them. Now, unfortunately, Trinitarians will actually not consider someone like me a brother in the faith because of their dogma their philosophy of uh, gatekeeping, with it becomes an actual stumbling block, honestly. I mean, it's literally what the Pharisees were doing with circumcision in the first century AD. Trinitarians now do with how you define God, uh, according to them, um, in the modern times. And they've done this for hundreds of years. And uh, we're going we're gonna to trace its roots, we're going to talk about it, but I've seen Trinitarians show unbelievers more grace, more patience, more love, more mercy than they do their own you know, fellow soldiers in the faith. It is absolutely unnecessary friendly fire. And, um, and there's a spirit behind that. There, that's not natural. That's not normal. So we're going to jump into it. Thanks for everybody here in the live chat today. Um, I really appreciate you guys. I want to encourage everyone, uh, no matter who pops in the chat today, I want to encourage you guys to be loving, to be calm. I want you to, I want all the moderators that are in here today, I want you to be very disciplined if you can. Do not remove people just because they disagree. Do not block them from this channel. Um, if they start engaging in accusations, name-calling, denigrations, condemnations, obvious strife, contention, and argumentation, and will not and will not relax, you can put them on mutes. But just to uh, extend a little bit of a, a peace branch to all the Trinitarians that may be watching, um, we're going to have the moderators, if you can't have a civil conversation in the live chat, we're going to have the moderators mute you repetitively until this live stream's over, but we're not going to block you from this channel, okay? So, because I want you to be able to interact in a positive way, I want you, I want to, you know, unfortunately, I'm going to have to put up the, put up the guardrails for you to actually not throw yourself off the cliff and, uh, and not being able to interact in the future, Okay. So when I was in football in the past, you know, that, it reminds me of like the, um, like you're going through the, going through the tunnel, right? So you, there's a couple ways you, that we would do the tunnel. Either the fellow teammates would line up, create a tunnel, and they try to slap the ball or tackle you randomly and get you to, to drop the ball or fumble. Or they have a, you know, the actual machine set up with the, the metal arm, the metal paddle arm sticking out, and you'd have to go through the tunnel and try not to get, uh, try not to lose momentum or try not to get the ball slapped out of your hands. And so, um, unfortunately, we're going to be the tunnel for you today so that you can stay on course. Don't fumble that ball. Don't lose your composure. 
I want you to maintain the fruits of the Spirit and interact in a positive, loving way if you decide to get in this live chat today. Otherwise, you'll be muted repeatedly until this live chat's over. Let's jump right into it, guys. Um, if you haven't already, I want you guys to uh, go download our app, free video description, Google Play, Apple Store. Uh, go check out our um, our work as well on Amazon. We did a whole commentary on the book of First Enoch as well as complimentary scriptures. Um, and I th- hopefully it's a blessing to you. We've got a lot of good reviews on it as part of it, helping people understand uh, the, the ancient historical perspective from ancient Israel, their scriptures before the Pharisees tab- ta- uh, got in and messed with the canon, right? So anyway, let's jump into it real quick. Uh, let's look at... All right, let me see if I can jump over here. All right, so this first video is from a, a YouTuber and a brother in the faith. I'm going to say this about all the Trinitarians that we talk about today. Uh, there's a, this is a brother in the faith. Um, I, actually, I actually like what he's doing with his channel. I like what he's, uh, where he's going, trying to address the culture. Um, um, I think he walks a very fine line with uh, trying not to just fall into full-on gossip, while still trying to address relevant topics in the culture that affects Christian culture and in the news, because we are having to interact with the world around us. So I see there's a positive, a net positive to what's happening with these discussions. Unfortunately, uh, the discussion that we're going to review in here in a minute, as we talk about this, uh, you know, we're going to see some unfortunate uh, tactics, apologetics, if you will, to try to defend this topic. So this is Ruslan KD. This is a channel. Uh, You guys go check it out at your own time. And uh, he's going to have on a couple of brothers in the faith. Yes, also another couple of brothers in the faith. They all believe in the Trinity. They all believe it's necessary doctrine for salvation. They all believe that the councils of men who adopted, formulated the Trinity over many, many decades um, were justified in doing so as making it a tenet of the faith required for inclusion and salvation. And so they've, they're all—look, I'm, um, I'm not trying to be unnecessarily uh, catty. But this is just what it boils down to. When you research the history of it, most, like my brothers we're going to look at today, most Trinitarians have bought, they've drank the Kool-Aid on this. They have, they have, they have a very limited amount of church history in their repertoire and their belt to pull from. Um, they truly have submitted themselves to the councils of men who decided, we got all these books in front of us, we're going to take out this swath of books and call that scripture only, so you just believe that. And then how you interpret those books, we're then going to try to codify that in a few simple statements for you. And if you don't repeat those statements or you disagree with those statements, you're out of the faith. That's the history of, of the church from Eastern Orthodox going into the schisms, then into the Roman Catholics, then even in still in the Protestant Reformations, you still see that happening today. This is why there's different denominations, because a Methodist doesn't believe with the creeds uh, as a Presbyterian. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's still division based off creeds. I just want to encourage everyone today, guys, that the Father does not save you off of your creeds. He saves you and judges you for resurrection off of your deeds. Psalm 62, 12, Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14, Matthew 25, 31 through 46, Romans 2, 6 through 16, you were judged on your deeds, Revelation 20, 15 through 20. This is why we must submit ourselves in humility and repentance to God's commands. Yeshua taught that as well, that he did the deeds of his Father. That's what brought him joy. That's what he told us to do to find our joy. This is how we disciple after Christ. We do the commandments of the Father, right? So let's jump into this. 
Bruce Let me know, guys, if you guys can hear this. This needs to stop. Consistently seeing more and more people color outside the lines of orthodoxy in the creator space. I'm seeing. You guys hear any echo? Let me know real quick, guys. I'm going to wait just a minute and let the live chat let me know. Because, again, I'm, I'm having issues with. I'm having issues with uh, with my headset today. I may just have to rem just try to go without it. All right, someone's saying good audio. One, okay, so there's no there's no reverb in the mic. All right, so let's let's start it again. Bruce line. This needs to stop. Consistently seeing more and more people color outside the lines of orthodoxy in the creator space. I'm seeing more and more people deconstruct and deconvert. I'm seeing more and more people on the verge of or shipwrecking their faith. All right. So this is a false equivocation right off the bat. Um, you don't see, you don't see people that move away from Trinity doctrine, leave the faith. They don't deconstruct just because they move from the Trinity doctrine. They, I've literally, we've already done a show on, on the LGBTQ pastor, Brandon, the Trinity was one of his main doctrines that caused his deconversion because it made no sense, but he thought he must believe it to be a, um, uh, to be in a traditional Christian. So there is a, I mean, I know that he claims he's a Christian, but guys, I mean, we, we, we did a whole breakdown on that gentleman and, and his teachings in there. You know, how, if you teach 99 things out of a hundred different than the scriptures, what scriptures are, what, what faith are you actually in? Right? So this is where, he, these are the reasons that we've seen with other atheists like Matt Dillahunty and other people that they all don't understand the Trinity, not because it has to be spiritually revealed to you. This is a, this is a manipulative tactic used by Trinitarian apologists. Um, the Father gives us, through his prophets, words we need to know. This is Hebrews 1.1. He spoke through his prophets in many portions in many ways, and in these last days he's spoken through his Son. This is how he reveals information to mankind. And that information does not go through a filter of other men who are not qualified prophets or the Son of God. That information is for us to learn. All scriptures God breathed and useful proper of teaching, correcting, training, rebuking, and righteousness. This not all scripture filtered through a council of men. All scripture is God breathed and useful for us, for our learning. So this is right off the bat, there's a false equivocation just trying to trying to scare you to say what they're about to talk about. If you don't believe, like they believe, if you don't repeat the creeds, they're going to be repeating, and we're going to go through the scriptures how those creeds do not line up. They're claiming you could be at risk of deconverging, deconverting from Christianity, falling away. And so we're going to talk about this today, and I brought some friends along with me. If you guys are not familiar with Rabbi Eduardo, he is a Messianic rabbi. Yes, based sir. in Pennsylvania. We just had him on the stream, so be sure to check him out, Ra Ra Radar Apologetics, okay? But we also got another special guest for us today. Um, he is an original Quran-only Muslim. Without any further ado, we have Sheikh Logic, ladies and gentlemen. What's going on, everybody? Good to be here. By the way, it's original Quran-only Christian. Original Quran only Christian. Put some respect yeah. on it. Excuse me. An original. Some people are saying my mic is a little low. How about now, guys? Can you hear me a little bit better?
Sorry, I'm just trying to, I don't know what's going on with the audio today. I think I may need a new soundboard, a new compressor. Uh, let's just keep going. You know, Quran only Christian. There we go. Uh, chat, if you're here live, I need you to obliterate the like button, like really completely defiled it. Um, <laughs> and then I need you guys to tell me how the levels sound. I feel like I'm going to have to turn your mic up here in a second. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, this whole thing will probably get clipped up uh, across all the channels. But um, if you want to watch the replay of it, when we're off live, this will be up on Patreon for the replay of it. All right. So um, talking to your mic. Testing, testing. Okay, let me one, let me two, turn three. you up a little right, bit. So let's get for a little bit. For, uh, first super chat from Yashua the King. Let's go. Appreciate you for the one ninety nine. Okay, so um, original Quran only Christian. Yes, sir. Okay, you have to unpack that for me. All right, we're skipping forward a little bit. To where they start taking some super chats, talking about the Trinity itself, because the reason why we're playing Correct. this today, guys, but yet they won't acknowledge the is because we're going to, this is just going to be a small portion of what we'll do with this live stream. But um, I, my Kingdom of Context accounts, has been blocked on this particular channel from commenting or engaging in the live chat. Um, I'm guessing their moderators didn't like it one day when I was asking questions against the Trinity. So um, I actually had to use an old account in order to actually ask a comment and make some super chats to ask, to ask questions trying to be as respectful as possible, just to engage and ask questions for these brothers. Um, since this particular broadcast aired, I was actually able to go on and speak with the two brothers right and left of Ruslan in the middle um, separately. Um, that's already up on our channel. Many of you guys have seen it. We're going to review a little bit of that today as well, talk about some of their arguments. But, um, but ultimately, I, I had to actually create, go to my old account just so that I can engage um, and uh, drop some super chats to engage in this conversation, this particular one. Um, and I asked some questions that uh, they actually responded to, and, uh, and I'm glad they did. Now, I just, I pray that had I had actually been under my main account, Kingdom of Context, that uh, I would have gotten the same engagement, but I just, I just don't know. I just don't know. So let's keep listening here. They're gonna, we're gonna get into some of the the Trinity conversation. Jesus is eternal. That's a cut. For anybody yeah. who is unaware, check out my channel. I have a whole video where I put this to crumb trail. That's what I said. Pointing people back. That's you can only Quran. Gonna have those remnants in yeah. there. This is why I said there's remnants in the Quran today. All right, they're talking about the other Quran. faiths, but have more inter inter faith. You see what yeah. I did? We're going forward a little bit. has not had an uh, an accurate exegesis of the scripture mm -hmm. like you i i love doing this with muslims i love doing this with Joe. i father the now, son by of the way uh, who are this gentleman here is um he actually goes out on the street and uh tries to, to do some street apologetics and engagement evangelism with muslims much respect to that that's wonderful right um that's great keep at it bro all identified as the one god all in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. I don't have to go to the New Testament to prove this. But this is the issue I've seen with so many street apologetics and conversations in general with Islam, is that uh, they just argue from the stance of the Trinity constantly. And the Islamists are going, but this doesn't make sense. You're, you're a polytheist. You're worshiping multiple gods. You're saying there's three persons and one who, one being. That's three beings. Because like we've talked about in previous videos, Trinitarian dogma uses language differently than the modern person. 
They use the concept of essence and being. We're going to break that down in a minute. They use that differently. They use the concept, the descriptor of the group of the Godhead as three persons, one who, one being, three persons wrapped in one being, all co-equal in authority, co-eternal in their um, in their nature of existence as far as immortality, and co-substantial in their essence, their being. This is the official statement of Trinitarian dogma. They think that they're co-equal, co-eternal, and co-substantial, or co-essence, if I could give it a a, a term that were, which which is what co-substantial means, but um, that's where that root concept comes from. But they say they'll say co-being or co-essence. That that's what I'm trying to. Uh, that's what we're going to focus on here in a few minutes. But that's the official classic Trinitarian stance that's been formalized um, as far as their language. Uh, we've done videos in the past how um, pre pre-incarnate, while in the flesh, and then post-resurrection, the Son has never, ever been co-equal to the Father, and never will be. There's a one Almighty, there's a Son, they're two separate persons, they don't have a special essence. We're going to talk about that essence concepts and where it comes from, because it's not scriptural. And um, and whether whether or not the Son is eternal or not, they like to argue about that. I think it's inconsequential, because I don't see the Scripture saying either way. They make it consequential because of their essence arguments, which is the last part of that, the, the three major statements of the classic Trinitarian thoughts, co-equal, co-eternal, co-substantial. So because they believe in the substantial concept, which is the essence concept, they say he must, therefore, be also co-eternal. And that's where they, you know, obsessed about that at the Council of Nicaea. That's where the history comes, that's what they always focus on. Um, and that's what they always try to argue on, is they want you to repeat Jesus is eternal in nature and was uncreated. And um, I just think that it's an absolute red herring. I think it's a distraction because that is hinged on the latter part of that creed, which is the co-substantial part, which is what we're going to talk to today. And we'll break that down and show you that it's utterly unscriptural altogether. Mm-hmm. And so then you have plural language of Yahweh speaking of himself, us, and the we using verbs. And there is no plural of majesty on mm-hmm. verbs and right? And Judaism- right, right? This is a this is a very classic argument. They talk about the idea of Elohim in the Old Testament. It's a plural can be used as a singular, and that the idea of Yahweh um, is mentioned is a, is a plural, according to how they they read some of the texts. And um, now put in the live chat, guys. Most people that follow this channel, you probably already know. Put in the live chat, which <laughs> would how we would how we would address that right when they say, well, Elohim is must be speaking plural because it must be speaking about this three persons in one essence of God. So put in the live chat and how we would actually, so let's just see if the people that have been watching us for some time uh, can figure out how we could easily um, dismantle that very, very poor, assumptive argument. All right, so some people are saying there's many Elohims, but there's one most high Elohim. Now, plural majesty is what they're arguing for. They claim it's all plural and co-equal majesty. No matter what happens between their roles and functions, they claim that because of their shared essence, unlike anything else in creation, they all share the same plural majesty, which is their glory. The whole creation is the same context, right? Tracy Jones, there you go, saying define God. So Elohim is God in the Old Testament. Theos, or Theon, is God in the New Testament. So this is where we have to define the word God itself. They already have a definition for it, and I promise you it's not what you think. That's what we're going to talk about today. Their idea of how they define God 
is built into that creed of co-substantial. That is the hinge point, even though it's third in the list of stated creeds, because the first is co-equal, then co-eternal, then co-substantial. The substantial part literally is the linchpin to their entire theology. That's why they argue God all the time. It's why in their live chats, you'll see people just repeating like it's copy-paste. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. You're like, dude, is this a bot? Like, is that all you got to say? Jesus is God? Because that's what they've been told based off of a working definition of how they define God. They're not saying that Jesus is a ruler, which is the word for Elohim or Theos. They're not saying that Jesus is the son of God. They're just talking, they are, they will acknowledge that Jesus is supposed to be king of kings and lords of lords, and that he is the high priest of the church and rules over, well, hopefully, well, some of them, depends on their eschatology, some of them think he's ruling now, and um, others think that he'll come and rule later, but they all agree that right now he is the head of the church as a ruler over the ecclesia. They'll also say that the, the most high is his father. So they acknowledge there's a father and the son. Remember, it's three persons and one essence of being. But what, but what they're saying when they say that if you don't say Jesus is God alongside with them, and, but therefore you're denying his de deity or his divinity, they're, they're talking about this co-substantial concept, which you usually only learn about in seminary. Or if you're a, if you if you obsess also about the Trinity because you are you like to study and stuff, which many of these uh, content creators do. Um, so you know I, I respect their desire to study, but they're they're studying things based off a certain narrative that's been passed down. We're going to talk about it. It also directly has to do with how they claim God doesn't have a body, the Father doesn't have a body, so therefore Yeshua is the representation of the Father. That's why he has to be in the same essence and therefore categorized in the same type of way as God. But when we press them for what is that essence, show me in Scripture, they can't because it's not Scripture, it's philosophy. So this is where you'll hear them making these statements about plurality of gods, but they, also, but they say because the three Characters they call the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three individual personhoods wrapped inside of one being. They claim that's how they get around semantically without worshiping three gods. Because they say, no, 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 it's just one God. But this is literally not how you use language. It's a philosophical bending of the language. It's a philosophical wrapped definition of the language. If anyone's ever studied philosophy in the, in the live chat or in the audience, you know that they can argue whether or not a tree is a tree from 15 different ways. I see something growing, sprouting with bark, limbs, leaves, and roots. Oh, that's classified as a tree. There may be different species, but they're all considered a tree. But no, I mean, you know, you just, just, I'm not going to go into more examples, but just, you know, I'm giving you a quick understanding if you've never studied actual philosophy. And there's a, there's a root where this goes back from, we even see this in the scriptures. I think it's in Acts uh, 16 or 7, Acts 17, I believe, where it talks about um, uh, Paul when he went into Athens and he just, he said, the, the guys just sat around and talked about ideas all the time. Yeah, they're philosophers, philosophizing, arguing with each other. An unhealthy controversy and semantics. This is what Paul warns us about in 1 Timothy. So let's listen a little bit more. No, we'll get to really the questions exist. I asked them. Mm -hmm. So you have this, this, uh, this verbal usage, uh, this plural usage where Yahweh speaks of himself. 
and doing things in these actions. No plural of majesty, all that kind of crap. No. So you have this. It's so clear. It's evident. You ha the Bible forces you to be Trinitarian. Uh, no, it doesn't. See, these are these are what we call a, um, bully statements, right? These are statements of of uh, you must believe this if you believe the Bible, right? There's an, it's an assumptive uh, an, an assumptive aggression within the statement, right? It's like it's assuming that this is what the Bible teaches. You got to believe it. If you reject this, you're denied Jesus. You're denying the Bible. No, this is a um, classic theological manipulation and attempts at intimidation. Every denomination does this. This is why we break down the bad theology of other denominations too. But this particular underlying theology that is based on philosophy is shared by many denominations, and there's many denominations that reject it outright because it's just not spoken in the scriptures. Now, there's another thing that we're going to see here that's um, usually part and parcel with men who have studied the Trinity and are defenders of it. They also defend the councils of bishops and um, men, quote-unquote early church fathers, who, de who decided your statement of faith, your creed, must include this language about the Trinity. So we're gonna that that's where they will say you're rejecting, you know, believers for 1,800 years that have thought this and believe this. You you think you're special because you come up with something that all these other people accepted. That's an appeal to consensus. That's a debate fallacy, um, and it's an appeal to authority, right? Because they're leaning on the authority of those councils of men, many of whom also were Italian and Latin philosophers. And this is what Maimonides was impressed by in the 12th century. Um, and they're all, all share this underpinning of philosophy because this was their other practice, right? Thinking thoughts, right? <laughs> I really wish I had that community clip clued up. <laughs> there's an old show called Community where uh, Troy, um, he, he like there's um, the air conditioning repair school, which is the different annex of the community college, is trying to recruit Troy to join their air conditioning repair school. And then the plumber realizes that Troy is like an amazing, uh, naturally gifted plumber. And so he's trying to recruit Troy to learn plumbing. And Troy's just going to community college just to, you know, take some blow off classes. He doesn't really care. And he has to tell the people that recruited me, he's like, I don't, I just want to watch TV with my friends and just think thoughts, you know? And it's just like, that's what I envision all these, these dudes, you know, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle sitting around in a, underneath the Artemis Zeus temples all around them as they sit in the city square and argue philosophy in Athens. We're going to get into that theological framework here in, in a little bit, so stick with us. Let's let's keep listening. Right. It yeah. forces you to. Yep, yep. That's good. Uh, shout out to... No, it doesn't force you to. Uh, L and so to me, this is a two-year process, so I think somebody could be in error and then land in the in the, the proper place. But what do you guys make of this, and why is this so important? I, I, it's it's uh, There's a verse that's coming to my mind that I can't remember. Unfortunately, I'm not like Sam Shimon, who's a li mental librarian. <laughs> but there's a verse that talks about um, how uh, the, 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 there's sins that's being committed, um, and, you know, God will, you know, they, if they commit a, a sin against man, mm -hmm. God will step in for the man. Mm -hmm. But if they sin against God, the then God asks the question, who will me who will mediate for man? Mm. Right? Except God alone. Mm -hmm. Only God can mediate in between God and man. All right. I wish I had some sound effects. I don't, guys. I'm sorry. But hit the no hit the whammy sound effect right there. No. 
God cannot mediate for God and man. This is a massive, massive theological error statement as far as what the scriptures teach, why the Son of God was sent to become the Messiah. He was sent to become the Messiah as high priest. This is what's prophesied in the Old Testament. This is what Psalm 110, 1-4, it literally is all about. He becomes a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, repeated in Hebrews 5, 7-10. And he did that because he was, as Hebrews 4.15 says, without sin, and therefore through obedience he learned, and through suffering he learned obedience. Because he was truly in the flesh, no hypostatic union concept, because again, that's built upon the co-substantial special boy essence that they're going to try to define. This, But that's not in Scripture. Jesus dethroned from his spiritual nature, became in the flesh. This is the definition of the mystery of godliness mentioned in 1 Timothy 3.16. While in the flesh, he had to be obedient. He was tempted to sin, but he did not. He overcame that. That's what qualified him. Once he was martyred and killed and raised, that perfect obedience qualified him for the position that the Father wanted for him as high priest of the covenant. So now he's glorified in a position of rulership, as a glorified spiritual nature. And that is where he obtains his priesthood position. This is what the entire book of Hebrews explains to you. But because the same men who adopted the councils and, and codified the Trinitarian creeds did not teach the people about the priesthood of Christ because they claimed the priesthood for themselves, and in the same vein that this young man just said, God must mediate for you, the councils of old, and the Eastern Orthodox and the Roman councils, the Catholic priests claimed, because they now have the authority of Christ, they can reinterpret or interpret, quote-unquote interpret, but technically it's a reinterpret, Scripture for you and how you apply that in your discipleship, which got them away from covenant and got them away from actual discipleship according to the commandments, and cause them never to learn about what Christ is doing for them as their high priest. So we have a long-standing gap in theology around the priesthood of Christ, which the Scriptures emphatically talk about, that these guys skip right over, because they've been taught a gospel that says God must die for you so he can mediate for you. He must. He did die on the cross, raise again. We understand that. We profess and teach that. That's, that's basics, 101. The implications of that is where they twist it into the Trinitarian idea, what you just heard. They, they're taught, and therefore they repeat, God must mediate for you. But that's not, because remember, they're using the essence when they use the word God. They're not using it as a ruler or the supreme authority. They're not using it according to its definitions. They're not using it as a sense of judgeship. They're using it in this special philosophical essence. That this, it, this uncreated substance must be the one that atones for you. But that's not what the Scriptures say. It says the Son of God was meant to become your high priest to atone for you. Through a process, through the law. Through a process, through God's law. That's exactly what Hebrews 5 is expounding to you. This is why he became a man, so he could be chosen from amongst men, and therefore we could... He, can, he knows what we, are, we go through. He can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. But also, he was perfect in his behavior, so now he's the best of us who can represent us to the Father. This is the mediation between God and mankind is the man, Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. So this idea, is this, is this is where you're immediately right off the rip. You're seeing these gentlemen present a different understanding of why God even sent his son to begin with, because this is 
This is ancient church tradition. This is a reinterpretation that moves away from the law of God, away from the, applica the application of God's law through the priesthood, and away from the eternal priesthood of Christ, and puts it into a different framework of a special essence that had to come die so we can mediate for you. Not a creature, not an angel, mm -hmm. not some subordinate uh, uh, thing. And by the way, a part of their, when he says not a creature, not an angel, that's wrapped up into this co-substantial argument because they have a special definition for the essence of God, the three persons in the one being, they have a special definition for that that Scripture does not have. That's why they say anything outside of that essence is a creature. So this is why the Trinitarians arguing with each other at the Council of Nicaea, this is why you know the, the Trinitarians that won out didn't like Arius, because Arius was arguing that Jesus was made of a different substance than the Father. And they were claimed, and they wanted to push this idea that the that the Father and Son, they didn't even talk about the Holy Spirit in, in the Council of Nicaea. They wanted to push that the Father and Son were made of the same special essence, this philosophical essence of ontology. And and Arius was saying, no, the, the Father created Christ out of a different essence, a different substance of some sort. And so there was a there was an argument there. But the point is, um, they're still just basically Trinitarians arguing over, over just semantics. Because the Father and Son and all the spiritual beings are of the same essence. You're going to see me try to address this here in a little bit, but um, it's called spirit. It's literally the only two essences that is explained to us in Scripture between heaven and earth, is those of spirit and those of the earth, the earthy and the spiritual. There's two different ontologies. That's it. There's no third. And so this is why they'll, they say, if you claim Jesus isn't of that essence, i.e. Jesus isn't God, they claim you're, you're saying Jesus is made of a different essence and therefore is a creature. This is one of the derogatory ways they used to denigrate the argument, because again, they're all working off the underpinning of a special definition of the word God, a philosophical definition of the word God. This isn't normal the way we think of it. So this is where, when they don't explain it well, it just becomes unfruitful because the people that disagree, because it still doesn't make sense to them, then the intimidation starts where they say, you must believe this or you're out of the faith. That's not Yahweh. Only Yahweh can step in and mediate for man. Mm -hmm. Amen. So did you have something? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's just interesting to me about the imagery, right? That, you know, when that debate I had with that modern Orthodox Jew, that yeah. needing to operate in the governing covenant is vital. Mm -hmm. So if we think about the Passover imagery, if, if Jesus Yeshua is our lamb that was slain mm -hmm. and it's his blood on the doorposts of our hearts that mm -hmm. brings that forgiveness of sins, I could imagine Moses. Imagine mm -hmm. Moshe comes down and he says, listen, mm -hmm. God's going to deliver us. Mm -hmm. Every house, take a lamb, mm -hmm. put the blood on the doorposts of the house. The angel of death will pass over. This is where we get Pesach, mm -hmm. Passover from. Mm -hmm. And imagine me and Avery, we in the crib and we're like... Man, I like lamb, bro. Maybe we'll just do a chicken blood. <laughs> right? You know, because I don't want to kill the baby the, lamb. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to do the lamb. Lamb is what I like. You know, yeah, lamb yeah, chops yeah. my favorite show. Yeah, you know, yeah, I got yeah. emotional yeah, ties good. to the lamb. That's good. So, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do the chicken. Because, yep. you know, I got extra chicken. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to put the chicken up there mm -hmm. and we're going to put the blood up there. You know what? We good because you know what? God knows my heart. Mm. And that makes more sense to me because the lamb don't make sense. It tastes better. The meat is better. It's mm. more expensive. Why would God mm. want the lamb? God don't need the most expensive thing. In my mind as i'm thinking about what moses told me mm -hmm. it makes more sense for me that god will want the chicken mm. so i'm gonna put the blood of the chicken not on the door but on the back gate mm. because you know that's gonna be a mess i'm gonna have to clean it after god knows mm. my heart mm. all right so um the rabbi eduardo he's a he's a rabbi so he has a he is a 
I think a junior rabbi in his congregation. And so he, uh, he actually deals with people and teaches, I guess, messages at his congregation or his community congregation or whatnot. Um, so as a general principle, I just want uh, our brothers to know much respect to all these guys for their efforts, feeling what they're doing to spend their life to, you know, to promote Christ and teaching of his word. I just think the fruits are really off in this particular topic. And so I'm not opposed to men that teach using metaphors, all right, which is what he's trying to do right now. It's where they take the meta, how they imply and what they try to claim you must believe uh, with their metaphoric defending of this idea of the Trinity. And that's just all I wanted to point out was this is what you're going to see all the time. You try to say, show me in the scriptures that I must believe what you're defining, if they can even define it to you in the first try. That usually takes like an hour for you just to get them to really define it. Many Trinitarians cannot, they don't even realize what I've just been explaining to you. They don't realize that the core philosophical underpinning of their thought process is built off of a special definition of God, this this essence. I wish I had like a, I wish I had like a, a <laughs> that, that Usher and Little John song queued up where he's like, yeah, and then Usher comes in, Usher, Usher. So I could I redo it like a lot of YouTube channels or like redo something. So you have Little John sound off, and then you got someone coming in going, essence, 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 essence. Because that's that's what, it's it's a special clubhouse definition. It's their own little denominational philosophical clubhouse definition of this essence, co-substantial idea. That's what, is glorified in the minds of Trinitarians that truly know the arguments. The average layman Trinitarian, they don't even understand. They just repeat the mantra, Jesus is God, Jesus is God, and you must believe Jesus is God. They don't get where this is coming from. So therefore, to bridge the gap between men like this who've studied it, not not sure on Ruslan, uh, I don't know if this is his area of study, but these other two men on both sides of him that have studied this and try to defend it, they understand the essence the average person does it, and instead of just explaining the essence, they go into elaborate metaphors. I'm that weird guy that says, show me the words of the prophets that said this specifically. And then there's even groups of Trinitarians that will mock you for that because they're like, oh, so you're, you're solo scriptura. You're just on an island with the Bible making up your own doctrine. They try to mock you for trying to read and understand the Bible on your own. Because they say, oh, they, these guys have already figured this out 1,800 years ago or 1,700 years ago. You don't, need to, you don't need to worry about that. They've already told you how to interpret and what to believe. You should just trust them. And I'm like, that's, uh, yeah, I, that's not what my father says. My father says, I should wash my mind with the washing of the water of the word. I should refresh my body as long as I live with God's word. I should learn it. I should meditate on it. I should study it. I should seek his comprehension through the gift of the Spirit. Job 29.7, right? It's the almighty who gives understanding. So even the, the quote-unquote church councils of old who declared they've already studied the topic and told you what to believe, they argued amongst themselves for hundreds of years. But I, I'm supposed to believe the final, the winners, the victors, the guys that were then endorsed by the actual Roman powers. I'm supposed to believe the victors, huh? So... As especially when the victors also have other doctrines that blatantly contradict the scriptures in a variety of other ways as far as discipleship and understanding the role your, your high priest, Yeshua, actively plays for you today. How about no? How about I don't just give them the full faith and credit that they got it figured out? And as you're going to watch here in a little bit, when I start to press, things start getting awkward. 
See, you needed to follow the steps of the prescription of what God was saying and how he revealed himself. Yeah. And you had needed that blood of that lamb, not the blood of a chicken, mm -hmm. not anything else. It mm -hmm. was that and that governing covenant, what was being inaugurated, God's yeah. decrees that you had to operate in. And mm -hmm. what happened? Just be, if you didn't follow the rules right, mm -hmm. if you weren't obedient to what was necessary for your deliverance, mm -hmm. You, the firstborn in your house died. Sheesh. There was no, there was no, oh, you know, I misunderstood or I kind of thought it would be good if I mm. did it this way. Mm. It didn't work. So this whole analogy he's giving about the blood of the lamb of the, during the Passover, saying if you didn't follow the rules, your firstborn died. This is his metaphoric argument in support of the Trinity. What do you guys think? What do you guys think that does to someone who doesn't know the Bible very well? What's communicated in that metaphor? If you don't believe what we're about to say you need to believe... Bad consequences could happen to you. You could not be delivered, meaning you're not saved. This is what I say, guys. This is theological intimidation tactics. This is sophistry. This is not exegeting the scriptures to define what God says you must believe. Highly doubt the guy, the guy dying next to Christ on the cross professed a trinity before he died. We're going to skip for a little bit to get to... Um, one of these questions, if we can. All right, so they're going to address one of these questions. And from then the we got uh, the big spenders. <laughs> Who is this? Um, I understand the basics of the Trinity, one God, three persons, but does this mean they never work as a single unit sometimes, like three persons, one body type of thing? New convert, thanks for the answers. Thank you for the $50 super chat. Um, restate your question real quick so that we, we get that, and yeah. then let's let's hit this super chat if, if you would. Yeah, sure, yeah. So it's, it's simple. The, the, the question to those who say that Jesus is not Yahweh, right? The Bible is clear that there's only one true God. It says that. There's only one true God. All right. Okay. So here's where I say the language doesn't make sense to the layman because they're now he's using the term Yahweh to mean this co-substantial essence of God. Even though he's using the moniker of Yahweh, it confuses people because this starts to sound like a oneness argument right here. Because he's saying Jesus is Yahweh. I actually asked them in a minute to clarify that, and they do, and I'm glad they do. But if I hadn't have asked them to clarify it, thousands of people watching this broadcast are going to walk away going, they said Jesus is God, they said Jesus is Yahweh. And if they didn't hear the part about the three persons, one being, and if they don't even understand what they mean by being, they become oneness at that point if they fall to the intimidation that they have to believe this. So this is why even in their own arguments, because they don't find their define their own terms, because if they did, and I'm not saying this is malicious, I just think they're so used to not being called on this. They're so used to getting away with this that they don't even define their own terms when they're telling people they must believe what they're saying. So the average person doesn't understand how they're using the phrase, Jesus is Yahweh or Jesus is God. Because they read the Bible and go, well, this is the Father sent his Son. How is Jesus also the Father? Because that's how language works, but that's not how their philosophical premise works, which redefines the language. This is a huge problem. So this is why you just heard him called Jesus Yahweh. So whatever is not a true God is mm -hmm. a false God. Mm -hmm. So I like to ask, is Jesus a true God or a false God? They that's have to answer. And this is a really bad argument because, again, you're not defining God. Because he just tried to say, oh, there's, Jesus told us there's one true God, which Jesus said it was his father. What does the word God mean? It means ruler, divine being, or authority structure. Yes, all divine beings are rulers, unless they've rebelled and rejected God, like the unclean spirit, like the, uh, the, the rebellious angels. So 
this is why divine beings are always considered rulers. This is why that term divine being and ruler is synonymous in the actual Greek and Hebrew definitions of the word God. So in John 17, 3, when Christ says that I show you the one true God, I've showed them the truth that you're the one true God, then that's that's important for people. But this guy immediately reinterprets it, and not just him, but many Trinitarians immediately reinterpret it to, to include Jesus into the one true God special essence definition of God. It's tricky because every time they mention God or Yahweh, they're assuming the essence. Essence, essence, essence. I need the, the strobe lights going and everything. They, they're, that's what they're assuming. They're not assuming distinctive persons and roles. They're saying those distinctive persons are wrapped up into one collective, like the Borg, one essence, right? Even the, even the Borg is a bad example because they literally were like, they didn't share some undefined spiritual essence. They're like more mechanical. Um, so this is, this is what's so important about defining our terms in these arguments. And this is how you can walk into this type of argument and know when they claim, hey, if you deny Jesus, you're denying the deity of Jesus, and therefore you're denying the faith. You can see how that's a completely fallacious argument that's built on bad definitions, because now you know the definitions they're working with when they use these terms. He's not Yahweh. He's All a right. false god. Okay, and then, um, so let's, 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 we can go to the next question, actually. All right, so here comes my here comes my question of what it says. The question is, whose deductions are right? Since I've been You're not blocked from find this Trinity plainly spelled out like that, but whose deduction is consistent and coherent and accurate? That's good. All right, he's using the word deduction, by the way, because that's literally Aristotelian. This is literally what Thomas Aquinas uh, promoted through Aristotle's idea of the essence, and is what they say. Well, no, they'll admit no, the Trinity word is not found in the Scriptures. Um, and then they love to go to Tertullian, who used Trinitas or whatever. They'll say, oh, yeah, but, but uh, you know, a couple of years later, some guy mentioned a Latin word that looked very much like the Trinity. Um, but at the same time, they'll say the Trinity itself is not really in the—and then many of them um, will redefine the word Godhead to mean the Trinity, according to their special definition. But that's why you'll even hear them say this type of argument, that, well, the Trinity itself is not in there, but it's what we're deducing from what's unspoken— and therefore, now that we have the deduction and we've, when we've formalized a statement from the deduction, you must believe it. This is just nonsense, right? This is, this is where it becomes a man-made creed, a man-made doctrine. Here comes my All right. question. Uh, the professing said, help, please. I heard non-Trinitarians use the Hebrew-Greek definition for God, and the definition say it can be used for divine beings and rulers. Ah, yeah, this is good. Yeah. I was going to save this for a reaction to your video, because <laughs> I had that queued up for tomorrow. Would that change how we should consider Jesus as God? Well, that starts to fall apart. <laughs> well, before you claim it falls apart, I'd love to actually hear an actual answer uh, to the question. Um, so this is where I talk about, this is where, instead of addressing the question, part of the intimidation is to denigrate even asking the question, or to denigrate the premise, as opposed to just answering For the question. For a very specific reason, because though uh, they would be correct about the word God being Elohim at parts, that... Not at parts, that is the definition. Elohim, Old Testament, is God, and it can be used for different types of rulers. That is not the word that's used to describe Jesus in Hebrews 1, unless you want to take a different angle on this. 
<clears throat> I, I actually don't, but uh, you're you're absolutely right. So to answer their question, and by the way, I and I give props for them trying to be creative and use Hebrews one, which I think I I addressed in a different video specifically with this God apologetics guy, God logic apologetics. Um, it's a very weak argument because they apparently didn't realize that the Hebrew Masoretic is an older is a newer translation than the original or the older Greek Septuagint. And I'm actually going to go into that argument here in a minute, um, which I didn't get time to in the private video with these other guys because they kept talking over me and interrupting me. Directly. Uh, yes, the word Elohim is what they're talking about. Matter of fact... Uh, I could pull better, up a scripture if you yeah, want. Yeah, yeah that's, that's good. Um, Rabbi Eduardo actually would be better, way better for this. They're, so they're talking about Elohim being used so, and what that means. Yeah, so I think we kind of touched on this earlier, right? Yeah. Where we said, are there other gods that exist? There's mm -hmm. other Theos and Elohim that exist. There's no doubt about it. Okay, so both Ruslan and Rabbi Eduardo both say the Elohim and Theos does mean there are other gods that exist, other rulers. But are they talking about the special essence? Are they talking about their philosophical definition of God? Because they claim this special descriptive ontology that's actually undefined that no other type of ruler or God shares because everything else is therefore created. So this is why they have a, they have an undefined philosophical premise they're working on, and how they reinterpret the idea of God. The thing is, do these other Elohim, these other El, these other Elim, these other Theos, do they do what Yod Hey Vav Hey does? Are they capable? And this is this is its personal definition. It has nothing to do with whether they have the power to do with what. He, that's not what ontology is, right? It's about the substance, is what they're. So this is a this is actually a, a very unique argument that I've never heard from Trinitarians, but I'm glad he's bringing it out. If that's what he thinks, that's that's interesting. Full of creating ex nihilo out of nothing. Mm -hmm. See the thing with the thing is that are can these Theos, these Elohim, claim the prerogative that the Son of God Jesus claims? You go to John chapter five. Mm -hmm. It's a very interesting passage. If you want to bring it up, I think I think it's phenomenal. John chapter five, Jesus. I mean John chapter five, where Jesus says that he's given authority to judge because he's gonna. That's the point of the high priest. Of Israel who judges. He's the one that's going to be able to raise us from the dead because that's the point of why the Messiah was sent to redeem Israel, bring them out of their graves, Ezekiel 37. Is that the fulfillment of the covenant? That's that's why he's given judgment from the Father. The Father doesn't judge anybody. Interesting. I hope that he uses that route. Let's see he gets says. accused by the Jewish leaders for healing somebody on the Sabbath. And then they, he gets a lot of pushback from that. And then he goes, didn't you hear that my father himself is working on to this day? Then after that, they pick up stones to stone him. Mm -hmm. Why? Because he was making himself out to be God. And um, Dr. James White brings this out in his book, The Forgotten Trinity, which we are remembering. Today. So again, when he says that Jesus was making himself out to be God in John 5, he's not, he's claiming the essence shared by the Almighty and the other two persons of the Trinity. That's what they mean when they say he's making himself out to be God. Day, yeah, um, yeah. and he talks about how this um, all types of Trinitarians want to stop and say he made himself equal to God, mm -hmm. but it is that isn't really the point because he says my Father has been working until today. They charge him with doing work on the Sabbath. Yeah, and Jesus pushes back and says, "Look, my Father has been working until today." Yeah. That's about the this key verse right here, verse seventeen. Yeah. My father is <clears throat> always, always working, working, and so, so am I, right? So my father is still working. What's the point? That even though Yerhevave, his father, stopped working on the Sabbath, mm -hmm. if he had really stopped doing work, the world would spin out of its axis. Mm -hmm. All of creation would stop. 
And by the way, here this this whole exegete or what he's trying to pull out of this is working off a different assumption uh, of dispensation theology, which which mainly came from Catholicism, um, which is this idea in verse 16 he has on screen here. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. It was the Pharisaical Sabbath rules. It was not the law of God. Yeshua did not sin. He did not transgress the law of God. He did break the Pharisaical extra man-made rules for the Sabbath. He didn't break Yahweh, his Father's commandments for the Sabbath. So the whole thing, the whole premise, is built off of a bad, assumptive argument from the Pharisees that they're trying to say, oh, therefore he made himself equal to God because he broke our imposed man-made rules for the Sabbath. So this is why it just... So much, so much bad exegesis and misunderstanding that goes into many of these arguments. To exist because God holds all things together, yeah. God himself. Mm -hmm. So the Jewish leaders of that day would know that this is the prerogative of only yad heh mm -hmm. that although he stops working on the seventh day, he still does work because he's holding the world together. So on the Sabbath... Okay, real quick, um, beneath the, the beneath the 91 is uh, asking, he's got a live chat, he's asking, in John 3, 5, water and spirit, but will we be made of fire in the resurrection? John and Daniel describe skin like molten metal for masters and messengers. Well, they, they talk about skin that's uh, shining like bronze. This was an ancient description for people whose skin was glowing with the light of God, with the light of heaven. Um, and it doesn't mean they're literally made of metal. Um, that's not what descriptions, that's not the descriptions for uh, the angels or for God itself. Um, it's not. It's just talking about the shine off of them as if it was polished bronze or metal. In other ways, you'll see like uh, the the shine off the of, of Zion off New Jerusalem in Isaiah fifty four is referenced as um, as gems that are shining with light. Okay, so no, we will be made of water and spirit, as Jesus tells us in John three five, and this is what the angels are made of. And yes, water can turn gaseous, move around, move like the wind, just like Yeshua describes in that passage. You can also, like ministering flames of fire, water can ignite and can create fire. It just depends on the frequencies. There's actually been studies on it that have already been produced, uh, things called Star in a Jar. You can look it up from UCLA. I think it was uh, 2012 with a, a physicist and UCLA professor uh, discovered by certain frequencies he can actually create 1,800-degree uh, fire uh, with, within water, and another gentleman who was a radiologist, uh, radio tech, was trying to cure cancer for his wife. This was uh, reported back in like 29, 2009, 2010. And he, he discovered with certain frequencies, you can actually take salt water and ignite it. And it burns hot consistently and faithfully at 1,800 degrees. And the, actually, the military uses that technology on their, some of their submarines today. So water is very unique in its properties and how it can actually be fire, can be water, it can go gaseous and move around like the wind. Um, so this is the type of body that we're that is defined as a spirit body, as a spiritual, perfected, heavenly, immortal body. And this is the type of body promised to mankind at the resurrection. So let's just keep going real quick to the next question. Here, Jesus is saying the same way God had the prerogative from creation to continue holding the world together, mm -hmm. the Son of God, Jesus, Ooh, is saying, I'm capable Come of on. holding the world together yes, today. Sir. Yeah, so just because the Son of Man has given all authority in heaven and earth, and uh, he's actually imposing uh, anachronistically that power onto Christ while in the flesh at this point, but even in his glorified state, he's given all authority in heaven and earth because he overcame. And now he sits on his Father's throne because he overcame, Revelation 2, 25 through 28. 
that doesn't mean that he has a special essence and is therefore a part of this philosophical definition of God. I can't, I'm, I'm going to stress it every single time that I see their arguments assuming that, un, that philosophical underpinning, which is the crux of the Trinity argument. So if it's good enough to keep the clouds going, to keep the animals fed, to keep the grass growing, how much more should I be making a man whole on the Sabbath? And it lines up with the rest of the new covenant, that in him all things are held together. He holds all things together. God has death and life in and of himself. And let me add this real quick. Jesus himself claims to have the authority to lay his life down and pick it up yeah. from the other side of the grave. This is a God prerogative, not yeah. of other theos or elim or rulers. Yeah. So, so just to be clear... The other, the other rulers were not destined to become the Messiah. The other, the other spiritual beings, the other divine rulers, which are angels who have their own hierarchy of, of, of rulership, were not destined to come to the earth, don the flesh, put off their spiritual nature and don the flesh, be obedient unto death, and be resurrected. So this storyline, this is a conflation of purpose between the Messiah and other quote-unquote Elohim. Now, the false gods, the false Elohim, the unclean spirits, as well as the rebellious angels, they also don't have the authority to do that either because they're walking outside of the law of God. They're walking outside of the legal authority by which Yeshua had to even make that claim. And by the way, God's spirit raised him from the dead. Yeshua didn't raise himself. But that's a different conversation. On what Rabbi just brilliantly broke down, there are the, the word Elohim, Right, the term for God or judges is used for different characters in the Bible. It's used for Moses. It's used for angels. It's used for judges. All right. So now all three of them have admitted Theos and Elohim is not a singular use word. So they've admitted this, all three of them. Yes, Elohim and Theos can mean other GODs, other rulers. This is the application of the context of how they use the word God or the name moniker Yahweh. They're not using it for the sense of a ruler. They're using it in the sense of the special uncreated essence that they philosophically impose into the text. Israel and stuff like that. Uh, But what Rabbi Eduardo broke down is that in what context is the Elohim being used? Is the Elohim being, is it talking about the creator of all things, the one who's sovereign and ruler, Mm -hmm. or is it talking about this human judge that represents God or this prophet that's being sent by God and things of this nature? Depends on the context. So in Psalm 45, 6 and 7, where it says, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. It's talking about the ruler, the king of kings and lords of lords, Yeshua, resurrected and glorified, given all authority in heaven and earth by his father. God, Yeshua, your God, the Almighty, his father, has anointed you. You can only be anointed as high priest by someone over you in authority. You can't anoint yourself. Literally, Hebrews 5 says this. He did not take this honor unto himself, but was called by God. The entire concept of of the Trinity assumes co-equal, co-eternal, built off a special essence of co-substantial. Philosophy, you guys. This is not exegesis of Scripture in any regard. Context will tell you, right? And then what he just broke down about how the Son, who is an Elohim, right, who claims the prerogatives of God Almighty, mm-hmm. that how at whatever the Father is doing, right, how he continues to work, so I also continue to work. I can't, I don't stop or else it all falls apart. 
in John chapter five, as he breaks this down, he 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 continues to go into detail. Mm -hmm. Right? If you read verse nineteen, right, it says, "So Jesus explained." I'm doing the right thing again. Uh, if Jesus, so, so Jesus explained, <laughs> "I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself." Mm. Right? Now people will pause. Let's pause here real quick. People will take this and say, "See, Jesus is saying he can't do anything. What God can't do something independently, right?" Mm -hmm. But no, that's not what he's saying. He's mm -hmm. saying he doesn't work alone. Mm -hmm. That everything he does is in line and union with the Father, mm -hmm. right? Because he's always working. And I, I don't disagree with that. Jesus is the testimony. He does and says what his Father does and says for him to do. He literally says this. Watch this. Just just to erase this idea that Jesus is saying that he's powerless or doesn't have ability. Mm -hmm. He literally says, "The Son can do nothing of him by himself." He does only what he sees the father doing mm. for whatever the father does that the son does the same way. Mm. So Jesus just, I hope he goes ahead and reads verse 22, which is actually highlighted because it says the father does know when he has given the son absolute authority to judge father gives the son because the son didn't have it before then. So just because the father gives the son all authority in heaven and earth, and that's only after his resurrection glorification, by the way. That's the purpose of the Messiah, the Son of Man. Um, in order to judge, because that's what a high priest of Israel does, doesn't mean that they share a special ontology. doesn't mean they have a special essence together. This is a conflation of ideas built upon a presupposition. I said, I can do whatever the Father can do. Yeah, it's good. it's good. So in case you were wondering about my ability, he can do whatever the Father allows him to do. That's what a testimony would do. The testimony doesn't initiate first action. He testifies to the first action. So he just twisted it immediately right there to put Jesus in the same authority power level as the Father, saying that Jesus can initiate first action. That's that's not ever what Jesus said. I have all ability. Yep. I just don't do it alone. Yep. I never do anything apart from the Father. Yeah. And that's the context here, right? And so I, I don't want to spoil too much of what you want to break down in your video next. Yeah. So if you want right, me we're to gonna go to the next question real quick. Cause that was my question that I asked them. Um, let's see if I can't remember. It's right up here. All right, this is where they're going to break down the Hebrews 1 argument because he claims that um, Psalm 102, because it uses the word Yahweh in the Mesoretic text, that it's calling Jesus Yahweh and speaking of this special essence. So my next question is right up here. Here the we go. Saying, he uh, will be. You know what I'm saying? That's why we say yod heh vav And if you know Hebrew, that's how the third person, masculine, singular, future forms go with a Y in front of it, right? Yeah. yeah that's so good. that's where you get Yahweh. So that's why when... Hey, thank you for the super chats, guys. We've got a couple more in the live chat here. Um, always searching. It says, the one who sins is greater than the one who was sent. <laughs> that's right. It's common sense. That's how, that's how authority works. Right? There's got to be an ultimate authority. Um, you, know who, you know who shared authorities in the ancient world? The trinities of Hinduism, the Greeks, and the Egyptians. The Babylonians and Sumerians had them too, but commonly known throughout history, history, as far as what's told to us in writings that we still have preserved. You get it mostly from Hinduism, uh, from ancient India, from also the Greeks and the Egyptians. 
Um, Corey's Adventures says, thank you for your work that you've done today. I've learned a lot from you in the last few months. I've probably watched around 100 hours of your content right now. Hey, man, I really appreciate the binge watching. And just wanted to add, I found you through the late great Rob Skiba. Yeah, R.I.P. Rob Skiba, we appreciate you. We appreciate his contribution. Thank you guys for the super chats. That's really awesome. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, uh-huh. I am. Yep. Everybody can't say that. Yep. Either you was, you will possibly be, maybe you are now, You yep. exi- but you can't say that I just am mm-hmm. yep. before Abraham. You're literally yeah, placing right. yourself outside of time, breaking the... Another another conflation, just because Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, Abraham saw my day, glad and rejoiced. Again, they're, they're, this, this baffles me because they already believe in the pre-existence, meaning that, that, that the son was already in existence before he took on the flesh and was born through the womb of a woman. So for, for them to conflate and, and try to support the special God essence, um, just because Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, they're, they're saying, oh, only God can claim to be I am. This is a classical Trinitarian argument, and it's actually one of their worst arguments, to be honest, um, because it's just bad reading comprehension. I mean, nobody, nobody, just because you say, you know, I am, I am he, like the words I am he are used all over the Bible when people acknowledge their identity as somebody, when someone's asking, who are you? Uh, or, oh, are you Joseph? Are you David? Are you, you know, like it, this is just a, and the previous context in John 8, where Jesus even responds to the Pharisees and says, I am, I am he, it's talking about the Son of God, that Messiah that was sent. But again, they're using a different definition of the word God, just as he said. Just as the rabbi claims, because Jesus said, I am, that must mean he's part of this special essence of outside space and time. That's their way of saying that Jesus is claiming to be uncreated in that moment and therefore a part of this special philosophical essence. Chronological timeline yep. because your existence is in the womb. He's claiming yep. Yadhevafe's prerogatives. Yeah. That's good. That's good. All right. This is the last um this is the last question and then we're gonna wrap. So this is our gentleman who was was wrestling with this, and yeah. he's been very gracious and he's been very generous to his credit. Okay. <laughs> he says, When you say Jesus is almighty, you mean he has the same power of the Almighty, but isn't actually the Father, because otherwise that would be oneness doctrine. We agree Jesus created with the Father. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. So if G- yeah. So it sounds like it sounds like it sounds like we agree. Yeah. Um uh, Trinitarians do not believe that the Son is the Father and the Father is the Son. We do not believe that that would Okay. Hey, I'm glad they addressed this question. I'm glad they clarified because this is the problem. I'm actually trying to help them out. So they can pronunciate, or excuse me, um, articulate their doctrine better because um, it's it's poorly articulated so often. They just run around saying Jesus is God, Jesus is Yahweh, Jesus has the same power as the Almighty, and then the un, unstudied person on this topic just walks away thinking oneness doctrine. This is why there's argumentation among their own camps. It's it's really sad. So I'm glad that they were able to actually articulate. They do acknowledge. They've been calling Jesus the Almighty, but only because it was in reference to what Rabbi Eduardo tried to tried to exegete from Romans from J- uh, John five a few minutes ago. But honestly, it was eisegesis when he's trying to say because Jesus said he has authority to judge and he does what his Father does, therefore he has the same authority as the Father. That's that's not true. That's just not true at all. That's never been true. <laughs> it's never been true. Um, it, literally, like uh, the, the prophecies about the Messiah, you know, Psalm 53, I will send my servant. Um, so they'll say, well, that, that was just meaning once he comes in the flesh, then he's subservient. And, I, and this, they argue this as well. Um, but while in the flesh, 
He says, I go back to my God and your God. I try to show you the one true God, John 17, 3. He was subservient to the Son. And in the same way, when he does get all authority in heaven and earth, Paul goes out of his way in 1 Corinthians 15, 27 through 28, to tell you that even though all things were placed in subjection to Jesus, this does exclude the Father. The Father was not placed in subjection to Jesus and never will be ever again, because the, the, the Son is now a forever eternal high priest. A high priest is always under in authority to the person he's ministering to. So let's just let's just play nice for just one second, which these guys don't play nice, but I'm going to give them a little grace for a minute. Let's play nice for one second. Let's say, let's say their eisegetically imposed argument about the pre-existent nature of Christ was correct. Let's say he's uncreated. Let's say he is, um, we'll get to the co-substantial in a minute. Let's say before he came in the flesh, he was co-equal. So that means you got two almighties, two personhoods wrapped up in one being is what they claim. Um, I know they claim three, but just bear with me. We're not talking about the Holy Spirit right now. We're talking about the Father and the Son, because this is their argument. They claim the Son, before he existed, was co-equal in authority of the Father, and while he was in the flesh, hypostatically, he was also co-equal with the Father in authority. Even if I lended them and granted them their argument, once Christ came in the flesh, he claimed the Father was his God and is greater. Once Christ was glorified, Revelation 3, 10 through 12, he claimed he's going to serve in the temple of his God. That's a greater authority figure than him. Forever going forward, the argument of the Trinitarians, of the co-equal, is out the window. We have an eternal high priest. Forever going forward, a priest ministers to the God above him. So their argument, if they want to argue the past, if they want to bring up old stuff, forever going forward now, the co-eternal argument's out the window. So on the three-legged stool, the rickety bumper sticker made, held together three-legged stool of the Trinity doctrine, co-eternal's out the window. Excuse me, co-equal in power is out the window. In the flesh and post-resurrection, Christ emphatically and, and very clearly articulated to us in many passages, and even Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, the Son is not equal in authority to the Father. The Father is greater and will always forever be greater than the Son in authority. We're going to tackle the co-substantial argument here in just a minute. Yes, that would be oneness or modalism. Mm-hmm. Um, we believe that both Jesus is God Almighty and the Father is God Almighty, and mm-hmm. the Spirit is God Almighty. That's right. Hence, a triune God. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. John one language is really clear in the Greek. Mm-hmm. If anybody has a Mounts's Greek grammar, he has an awesome introductory chapter on one on the verb forms. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that when in the Greek, when it pulls it up, when it says that the word is God, it doesn't say God is the word at the ending. It's very important to say that what the word is, God is. Mm-hmm. But what Remember how they're defining God when they mention John 1, 1, 1 through 3. Remember how they define God. I, hopefully, that if you walk away with nothing else from this live stream today, I hope that's what you walk away with. I hope that you remember they use a different definition of God. So when they always pull up John 1, 1, they say in the beginning was, was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. They're always using a different definition of God. They're not using it as a ruler of a divine being, an Elohim status. They're using a different definition of God. But God is, is not fully exhausted in just the Word, mm. 
right? And that the formulation of this and the syntax is clearly against Arianism and Sabellianism, right? Whatever that other um, Sabellian, what's it called? The other heresy of of absolute subordination. Mm -hmm. That's another. <laughs> don't leave me hanging. Yeah, yeah, That's sorry. another form of heresy. Do you already just said? What I just described to you is going forward forever. Jesus is not going to be ever, ever equal with God in, in, or in authority again. It's absolute subordination, right? It's this idea that he's claiming that's a heresy. Why? Because they still believe, or well, the core creed of the Trinitarian doctrine is the co-equal part. So you're going to actually see something awkward here in a minute when I play my personal uh, discussion with these two guys, where they I describe the economic trinity, and these guys go, oh, yeah, no, no, he, he, he's not equal with the Father anymore. So contradict to their own creed, they just don't realize it. See, right, that it's actually <laughs> against. It's saying that the Word is God and face-to-face -face with him, very, very clearly articulated in the Greek, and, mm -hmm. and you can pull up that article and check that out. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Hey, Tangible Bear, thank you for the super chat. It says, I get confused. Legally speaking, does God the Father only equitab equitably adjudicate according to his law, Jesus intercede on our behalf. Thanks for all you do much love. Um, legally speaking, does God the Father only equitably adjudicate according to his law? I don't know exactly how you're using that term equitably, um, because if you're using it in the modern use of the word equi equity, um, that's equal outcome and not uh, righteous weights and measures as far as, you know, do your deed, you get what your deeds deserve. But yeah, the law is his standard for judgment. So, I mean, that, there is no other standard in all of heaven and earth for how the Son is going to judge people according to their every word and deed. Um, this, this is why I emphatically on this channel try to re remind folks that the, the definition of God in the Hebrew claiming to us through the psalmist, you know, that his ways are his laws and commandments. He, I mean, this, this is why he gave us his behavior to practice. So his, his ways are higher than ours. That's actually his way of being, his way of life, his statutes, ordinance, decrees, and judgments are all based upon his law, his commandments. So hopefully that helps, brother. Yeah. Somebody said that uh, when Hebrews is quoting Psalms, that is quoting it from the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, mm -hmm. um, that doesn't change the fact that the no. Greek version of the Old Testament yeah. is still referring because to Because it's Yahweh. not just the Yahweh. name. Yahweh. Yeah. All right, so this is actually the, the argument that, that I try to get into with these two guys that Ruslan brought up. Um, the Greek Septuagint was translated from different Hebrew manuscripts, and... I'm going to actually, let me just go to this right now and see if I can pull this up on the screen for everyone to look at. Um, I'll just go to this right now because this is kind of important. Because their, their claim was that uh, Hebrews 1 is repeating Psalm 102, and the, the Greek and Hebrew for Psalm 102 is using the word Yahweh when it says, You, O Lord, in the beginning, lay the foundations of the heavens. So, by the way, it's not a ball in space. It's physical, literal structure. But that's a different different topic. So the the seventy that's what the word Septuagint comes from. The seventy Hebrew scholars translated from the Hebrew manuscripts into the original Greek Septuagint. But we don't even have the original Greek Septuagint. The Pharisees commissioned three different new Septuagints in the first century because they didn't like the the Ptolemy. Greek Septuagint, the one that Ptolemy commissioned. So we don't even know what the original Greek Septuagint says anyway, but that's not the point, because it's always just translated as Lord once it gets to us in the English. They'll claim, oh, it must be used in the Tetragrammatron, so therefore it's not referring to the Most High, but it's referring to this special essence of God, because they've already acknowledged to call Jesus the Most High is inaccurate, 
Because, but if you call Jesus the Almighty and you call Jesus Yahweh, they're talking about it as a part of the God essence. That's how they semantically get around, part, instead of parsing out words according to their definitions, they semantically lump them together. Okay, and they're doing the same thing with Psalm 102, referencing the word Yahweh. They claim, well, since the Hebrew writer in Hebrews, Hebrews 1 claimed that the Psalm 102 verse is speaking about the Son, but the Psalm 102 says Yahweh, he must be God. He must be the essence God. It's an assumption, and here's why. Because if this is where context comes in. You just, we have to, man, we have to use context. Um, let me see if I can pull this up. So it's going to be display. I can get the display. Oh, it's not going to let me. Hmm. Oh, man, it's not going to let me pull this up. I'll just read it. So in, so they're worried about Psalm 102 using the word Yahweh when it says, You, O Lord, in the beginning, foundations of the earth. Let's go to Psalm... This, Psalm that was Psalm 102, right? What if we went just a few verses later to Psalm 110, where it uses the same word, kurios, for Lord, but it doesn't translate it immediately to Yahweh. This is where context comes in, right? And... The, the writer of Hebrews 1 is actually trying to tell us the context, which is amazing that these guys want to redefine it instead of saying, oh, this one is actually speaking about the Son. No, no, it's speaking about the God essence. So let's, so let's, in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, the Lord said to my Lord, Psalm 110, and that's the same word in the Hebrew, the kurios said to my kurios. Now, in the English transliteration, it'll capitalize the first use of the word L-O-R-D in capitals, referring to the Father, and then the second one referring to Adonai or Adoni or Lord, which most people assume is because of the rest of the context, verse 2, 3, and 4, it's a prophecy about the Messiah. So Yahweh said to my master, my ruler, my Lord, my Adonai, or Adonai, I think is how they say it, Adonai. So in the Greek, though, the Greek Septuagint, go to, go to Blue Letter Bible, Type in Psalm 110, type, go LXX as far as the translation, which is the Septuagint. And it'll literally show you, Kyrios said to my Kyrios. It says, so then you have to figure out what's the con. Is it saying Yahweh said to my Yahweh? No, it's talking about literally the Lord said to my Lord. Just like Jesus said to Thomas, I go back to my God and your God. Or excuse me, Jesus said to Mary in John 20. Just like in Revelation 3, Yeshua tells us, the Son tells us, I'll make you a pillar in the temple of my God and your God. Because there is an authority over Yeshua. There always has been and there always will be. That's why he's called the Almighty. This is part of the semantics that I can't seem to get around with, with Trinitarians. They, they refuse to acknowledge that the word Almighty is a singular concept. <laughs> you don't have an essence of Almighty. That's pagan theology. That's pagan trinities, where they are all worshipped equally and, had, and supposedly had the same essence of Om. The Om is the ancient Hinduism concept of the essence. And that's why we're going to go into, right now is probably a good moment to go into some of the history of 
the Trinity as far as the philosophy I've been mentioning this whole time. I already told you that one of the most venerated philosophers of Christian early church fathers, um, Thomas Aquinas, he's not early church father, but still he's a church father considered a significant philosophical and apologetic impact on the faith. Um, he directly references Aristotle and teaches off the idea that the essence of God is synonymous with the nature and the substance of God. This is why the creed of the Trinity, the co-equal, co-eternal, co-substance, co-substantial, is there built upon a specific substance. Aristotle used the term substance to refer to matter. But even modern-day Trinitarians, when you say, does God have a body, they're like, no, he doesn't. Like, That's why I asked them in my video, I said, hey, well, what, when you walk up to God at the, resur at the resurrection, will you be able to see God? And they were like, I hope so. And I'm like, well, <laughs> it's because he has a body. It's defined for us he has a body. Daniel chapter 7, he sees the Almighty, the Ancient of Days, sitting on the throne. Hands and feet, hair describes his body. Revelation 5, the one sitting on the throne. He has a scroll. No one can open it. He's holding it in his hand. That's describing a body. The Son of Man, the Lamb, walks up to the one holding the scroll, and he's the only one qualified to open it. These are, these, are, these are spiritual bodies, just like an angel has a body, just like resurrected Christ has a body that could be touched and interacted with, just like you were promised a resurrection body made of spirit. In the same way, John 4.24 tells us God is spirit. And in some translations, actually, in the literal translation of, of John 4.24 in the Greek, it'll say God is a spirit. So there's no special metaphysical or mystical interpretation of the word spirit. It just lets you know, just like angels are called spiritual beings, God, the Father, is a spirit, and it's, it's not talking about a special essence. It's defining the essence for you, the matter. It's to being defined for you in Scripture. We don't need an Aristotelian definition of matter, of this special substance of the nature of God. We have the ontology told to us in Scripture. It is the matter, the, com the composite material that the Father's body is made up of is matter called spirit, and it's mixed with water. And this is why he's, we're promised to be made of water and spirit at the resurrection. This is a tangible physical substance. It's so tangible and physical, it literally was breathed into the dirt of the earth and made man become a living soul. It's a tangible substance. And when that body dies, the spirit goes back to the one who gave it, like Ecclesiastes 9 tells us. Even though we can't study it, we've never observed it to demonstrate it, other than the fact that it animates us and that special gifts of it can be given to us for purposes of ministry, and we see its power moved on the creation for miracles, but they can't capture it in a test tube lab and study it and reproduce it because it's, it's, um, it, is, it emanates from the Father and, and fills all things. So this is... This is a very unique concept here that has been trying to be put into a definition outside of Scripture, because they will not claim that, that the essence is actually a spirit. They don't like that. In fact, I was going to show some clips. Um, I was going to show some clips of my interaction, but guys, I, I don't even want to. It's so They're so rough. Um, I have to weed through all that, and I don't want to... I already published a video on it, and it's on my channel. You guys can see it. Um, it's called... Um, this needs to stop. It does need to stop. This needs to stop. 
uh, the, def- the the Trinity or the essence of the Trinity is philosophy, and that's what it is. So, like I just said, even Thomas Aquinas directly, he he understands that he's pulling this thing from Aristotle. So did all of the philosophers. This is exactly why Neoplatonism was so popular, and this is what caught Maimonides' eye, specifically trying to reconcile the Trinity that the Latins were teaching. Look up Maimonides, check out the history. He was trying to figure out and understand the Trinity as the Latins were pushing, the Christian, the Latin Christians were pushing it, and he was trying to figure it out, so he went in and he was enamored by the philosophical approach to it because he also was a philosopher. And both Judaism and the Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholics, they both don't think God has an actual physical body. This is just a carryover from what the Sadducees thought, that they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in spiritual beings. This is what Paul refuted in Acts 24. This is what Paul was in opposition against in Acts 24. Because all of nature shows us that what we exist is animated by God. Paul tries to explain this concept. 1 Corinthians, uh, Romans 1, but also in 1 Corinthians 15, he tries to actually tell us there are two natures. There's the earthy and there's the spiritual. Adam was made of the earth and... The man from heaven was of the spiritual nature, which is also a wonderful passage for his preexistence. So this is, it's in the scriptures just replete, but not if you don't believe the definitions of the words, not if you're trying to impose a different definition of these words. So this is, um, so going back to this idea of where, what's this idea of Aristotle? Who was Aristotle? He was a philosopher. He was considered a polymath, meaning you're, exceedingly smart, a genius in multiple topics and categories. Um, I mean, the the guy was, you know, he's heralded by people all throughout time because they believe that he's like literally the god of philosophy. Like he's the main philosopher that they all venerate so highly, but they think he's amazing. Um, He was an ancient Greek, um, you know, literally, uh, I'm pretty sure, if not a contemporary, he was the early predecessor of, uh, Plato. And, um, but he's, he's the one they love, man. They, they, and this is where so much of literally has writings venerating Zeus. He was in Greece. He was not a believer. He was not grafted into Israel and wanting to reject the pagan pantheons. He existed in the heights of all philosophers. They're not going to the scriptures. They're going to philosophy for their counsel. They're thinking thoughts as opposed to washing their mind with the water of the word. this All the people that you've led to Christ, all that's out the window because you don't agree with the creed. This is a stumbling block. Okay, guys. Um, sorry, I think that was, I was having a, a buffering moment on my, on my service here. I think our internet went out real quick. Uh, thanks for the super chat. Always searching. It says, if you want an example of Yahweh and Jesus, then look at Joseph and Pharaoh. All the people were put under Joseph. As he said, only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Um, right. Okay. I mean, yeah, there's... Oh, man. Okay, you guys, I don't know if I'm back. I don't know if it's... I think there's a connection issue happening. Uh, I don't know what's going on, but um, we just have issues, you know, technical issues from time to time. Put a one in the chat if you can still hear me. 
absolute surrounded with spiritual warfare, guys. Um, and here is a quick verse, Colossians 2.8. This is what I want to remind folks, because what we've been talking about this whole time, we've been talking about philosophy. This is the foundation that it's built upon. It's built upon philosophy. Paul warns us against this. I'm going to read the, the, the completeness of uh, the first eight verses of chapter. off the air now. <laughs> I don't know if anyone can even hear me. Let's try it, though. Let's try it. Uh, Colossians 2. For I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and those at Laodicea, and for the, all who have not met me face to face, that they may be encouraged in heart, knitted together in love, and filled with the full riches of complete understanding, so that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will deceive you by smooth rhetoric. For although I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and I delight to see your ordinary, order, orderly condition and firm faith in Christ. To be orderly in Christ... Still off? It's crazy, man. Yeah. It's crazy. It was fine through the whole thing. Yeah, I don't know. It's just the way it goes. Just, just the way it goes. All right. I think it's, uh, I think I'm back on. I can't, I can't tell. I think I'm back on. Let me try this again. I'm going to start reading Colossians again, try to get through this. Um, it looks like I got the green light in my studio that we're reconnected and things are, are back at full speed, but hopefully you guys can hear this. Colossians 2, verse 1, For I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and those at Laodicea. For all those who have not met me face to face, that they may be encouraged in heart, knit together in love, and filled with the full riches of complete understanding, so that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will deceive you by smooth rhetoric, for although I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and I delight to see your orderly condition and firm faith in Christ. And by the way, guys, this has a definition, orderly condition and firm faith in Christ. It's literally what the disciples challenged Paul in Acts 21 and said, prove to us that you keep the law and walk orderly. To the Colossians, Paul is telling them that I, I delight to see you keeping the law. I delight to see your orderly condition. Verse 6, Therefore, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Does it say overflowing with condemnation towards fellow brethren in the, in the Ecclesia of Colossae? Overflowing with uh, creeds and philosophies? Or is it firmly rooted, built up, and established in the faith and overflowing with thankfulness? Verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, which are based on human tradition, Aristotle, Neoplatonism, Councils of Nicaea, 
and the spiritual forces of the world rather than Christ. Guys, the, this in the Greek, this thing for the, the, the daxon, which I believe is the Greek word for spiritual forces in this verse, is not talking about God's spirit. It's not talking about angelic spirits. It's talking about unclean spirits, demonic influences. Verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the Godhead, the authority structure, not the special essence. That's nowhere in Scripture. We know the essence of God. It's spirit. For in Christ all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. Yes, that's the point of the Messiah. He was sent to become King of Kings, Lord of the Lord, and High Priest of the Covenant. Like That's the point of the Messiah. He has all authority in heaven and earth to do the job that he needs to do. 1 Corinthians 15, 28, when he's done with that job, he's going to give all authority back to the Father so that God can be all in all. And you have been made complete in Christ, who is the head over every will and authority. And there's your, your context for what the Godhead's even talking about. Can't stress this enough. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception built on human tradition and spiritual forces of the world. When someone puts a stumbling block in front of you and tells you, you must believe our creed and how we're redefining the word God according to this special substance, which the scriptures do not describe this. When they tell you, you must believe that and repeat that in order for us to accept you in the faith, you're being taken captive. That's deception. That's not what the scriptures teach. And it's based on philosophy. It's based on human traditions. It's based on influences from spiritual forces that are not good. I'm going to directly say this, guys, because this is, this is what this, this topic has really become. I'm going to directly say this. The Trinity doctrine as it's promoted, as it's enforced, as it started in the history, is not scriptural. It's not from the prophets. It is a doctrine of demons. It subverts the authority of the Most High. It subverts the purpose of Christ. It subverts the very working definitions of the Almighty, the High Priest as the Son, and the eschatology of their relationship with the kingdom come and into forever. It subverts all of it. And it gets you to submit to a creed instead of a working understanding of how the Father saves you through his Son. The men who promoted it had a... The men who promoted it... Oh, I'm not going to go there. Let's just put it like this. If I would I would lovingly say pray for those who are pushing this as a stumbling block and entryway into the faith. Pray for them, treat them with love and kindness as best you can. If you if you think that they're in error forcing others to believe this doctrine and you are excluding them from the faith because of their misunderstanding, then you're just as bad as them. None of us are in the judgment seat of Christ. 
we stand as brothers and sisters in the faith to build each other up in love. And that comes through understanding more knowledge of God, as First Peter talks about. Right? We learn, we teach the basics, we build upon them with the washing of the word, learning, coming together, talking, speaking, learning, studying. Build each other up in love. We do not condemn and say because, you, you know, and, I'm, and here's what I'm saying. We have to lead with love. You can't play their same game and just be like Arian, Arius, and just be like, I disagree with you, and then as soon as I get a chance to take power, I'm going to condemn you and kick you out of the fellowship. You can't act in the immature ways as they act. We must be better. We must be above that because we walk in the truth and the law of God and the love of God. And a part of that is when you see your brother stumbling, adopt being taken captive by a philosophical notion. Pray with them, be gentle with them, sow the word with them. Unfortunately, you're going to have to take some insults and abuse from time to time. You guys have seen me do that in real time. I mean, I, literally, the, you'll see, you can see the video on my channel, but like these two dudes on right and left that, uh, that were talking with Bruce Lund, I mean, they opened up with mockery against me. Literally said, hey, Sean, how you doing? Do you believe in the Trinity? I said, no. They said, oh, you got that gnosis. That's a, that was how they were opening up mockery to, against me. I just smiled and let it, let it roll off because I wanted to have a somewhat fruitful conversation, didn't want didn't to fight right off the bat. But that's the idea is they, they believe they're sitting up here and everybody else who doesn't understand the way they use the word God and their little creed and philosophy is sitting down here. It's, very, it's a very destructive, destructive to the body, the unity of Christ, unity of the fellowship of the body of the believers. Um, it has been for 1,800 years. It's built on philosophy, spiritual forces of the world, which divide the body of Christ. The fruit of it is putrid. Unfortunately, you may run into that putrid fruit, and that fruit may get thrown at you from time to time. Do your best to maintain love, to extend to them friendness and kind, kindness. Do your best to walk in forgiveness and know that they've been taken captive by a philosophy and pray that they come out of it. We, we see people come out of that philosophy all the time, all the time. The more they read their Bible, the easier they come out of it. That's all it boils down to. So, Keep that heart in mind, guys, if I can encourage anything with this topic. It's not to bash our brothers that I, I had to highlight today because of the scenario for what we're talking about. It's they're, they're, just, they're just par for the course of this community that, that pushes this philosophy. This isn't really about them. They're just in a, a working example that, that seemed to hit a lot of the great qualifiers to speak on in, in such a short conversation. So just... I can't stress this enough, guys. If you want to change their hearts, if you want to show them that you're undeterred and you would be able to exegete Scripture to them and get them to take seriously what the words say instead of the human traditions and philosophy, you got to be better than you. We got to walk in love and treat them with as much kindness and strength as possible. If you got any, if you guys got any questions uh, before we end the stream, I'll take some questions. Let me know. Put them in the chat. And uh, appreciate you guys listening to me. Hopefully, this is encouraging somebody out there. Revealing the history and get you to think when you hear these conversations, they're not using the word God in the same way. They have a co-substantial belief set, and it, and it lumps Father, Son, Holy Spirit as three separate entities into, into one being. They don't even like to use the word entities. They like to use the word persons. Three persons into one being of this special essence of being that's different than any other thing in nature, but that's against Scripture. Scripture tells us what the nature of their substance is. Heavenly beings are made of spirit. That's why they have eternal bodies. That's what we're promised at the resurrection. Any, any questions, guys? Um, Dia's asking, please clarify. 
uh, Dee, I don't know if you just got here, but uh, I'll, I will answer your question, sister, but this will be probably the 50th time that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clarify this. So you're asking, do you not think that Yeshua has Yahweh's unique spiritual DNA? For lack of a better way to say it, different than that of angels and humans, I think that's what is meant by essence. That's what I've been describing to you guys. They, they believe in a third category of essence, a third ontology of creation, which they call it an uncreated essence. They're all made of spirits. I don't think that there is some special DNA. I think that the Father who created all things brought forth from himself all things, and the Son's part of that. That doesn't denigrate his role, his purpose, or his obedience. That's, that argument comes from Trinitarians when they claim, you, if you do not define things the way we define it, then you're denigrating the Son. That's called theological intimidation. So hopefully that's a decent answer for you, sister. Um, at Street is asking, Sean, can you do a brief video on the essence of real faith? It's keeping the commandments, bro. Um, I don't need, I mean, respectfully, I've done a lot of videos on that on my channel. Check us out if, you, if you're new. Um, <clears throat> and at Street, I can't tell from your, your profile if you're, I can't tell what I'm looking at here, man or, man or woman. I apologize if you're, if you're a lady and I called you bro. But um, <clears throat> yeah, it, I mean, if you want the essence, meaning like the, the heart or the, the, the primary point of real faith, I mean, that's, exemplified through your discipleship to Christ. And, and there's only one way that we can show our discipleship to Christ, and that's through practicing the commandments. Uh, this is, we practice them throughout our life, and when we fail, we have a mediator that we confess to. That's Christ Jesus. Um, Shmaji Panda, Aletheos Okoto, is asking, what's the spirit behind the Trinity? I, I just talked about it. I just read Colossians 2, 1-8, through 8, spiritual forces of the world. So that means unclean spirits. Um, let me see if I see any other questions in the, in the live chat. Put them in all caps, guys. That way I can see them easily. You guys are great. I, um, I'm using a different system here, and it doesn't actually show me how many people are in the live chat, but you guys are great. I really appreciate you guys sticking through some of the technical difficulties with the stream. Um, we're actually going to be having a really cool roundtable coming up on Thursday night on the channel with uh, like eight or nine other brothers in the faith. <laughs> We got a whole crew of us. I think there's nine of us total. So we got eight other dudes, wonderful, competent men in the faith coming on that can be able to exegete scripture, uh, good recall of scripture. Um, and and uh, to my knowledge, none of them are Trinitarians. And we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit as a person, uh, as a part of this, because that always seems to get left out of this conversation. So we're definitely, that's going to be on Thursday night. Be sure you guys are ready for that. Uh, Ivan, Ivan, both uh, asking about books that not stream. I haven't studied them. I haven't read them yet. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't have an opinion on those yet. Anthony at ECF, brother, I appreciate you being in the chat. If you uh, have a question, put them in all caps, and that's how we see them, and so they're not overlooked.
Um, Shemai, no, bro, I'm sorry. I don't have a given name for, I mean, it's, you know, like, you sh- I don't know. I don't know all the, the names of demons. I don't, I don't apologize. I'm not a demonologist or, or anything like that. All right. R. Wallace, nineteen eighty five, is asking: Is Jesus' earthly body still on Earth somewhere? No, it's no. It was uh, it was transfixed in the twinkling of an eye, just like First Corinthians fifteen talks about. So those whom body has not, the promise of the first resurrection is: Do you get a spiritual body? So those whose body has not decayed in the earth, Yeshua was wrapped three days and put spices in the myrrh, and, which is a form of embalming uh, for preservation, and so that's why he was wrapped and almost mummified. Um, that body was was changed. This is what Paul tries to explain that those who are not asleep, uh, those some of not all of us will sleep, as it says. Some of us will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. So God takes this this body of flesh and and changes it, glorifies it into a spiritual body. So um, this is why when the disciples went into the tomb and they saw the wrappings that were wrapped had wrapped Jesus just laying there with no body and folded up. Um, so I don't know if Jesus folded the laundry or if the angels folded the laundry. Can you imagine like being crucified and in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, and the first thing you do when you resurrect is do laundry? Like, bro, right into eternity, and you're like, I bet, guess I better fold my laundry. Like, I don't, I don't know if Jesus folded the clothes, the swaddled clothes, or or if the angels did. I don't know, but I just think it's hilarious to me. Like, somebody folded some laundry <laughs> after Jesus was resurrected. But uh, anyway, yeah, that's that's what Paul's talking about. First Corinthians 15, 15, 51. Talk about not all of us will sleep, meaning de- their body decays and their soul goes to Sheol, because at the second coming, there will people that will be alive and remain at his coming. And they're, if they take part in the first resurrection, um, there will be change in the twinkling of an eye. So this is when they're going to quick glorified body. Um, as Street did a whole, check out my channel, type in Kingdom in Context, where's Enoch now? I've done a whole video on the lifespan of Enoch, about all the scriptures, charts, graphs, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, Enoch is dead right now, and he's waiting the first resurrection like everybody else in the faith. Dia's asking, can you explain the meaning of only begotten, unique son of Yahweh, the Malan Gehes? Um, I mean, it's, this is what... I would describe as him being brought forth at his uh, conception through the womb of Mary because he was uniquely created um, and having come from spiritual nature, which is what first first Timothy three sixteen tries to explain as well, that, that he was manifested in the flesh, right? So he was of a Elohim nature. He was of a spiritual nature and then he's manifested in the flesh and that's never been done before. No, that's never happened to any angel. That's never happened to any man. Even when Adam was created, he didn't have mother or father. He was just created through the power of God, with the dirt, the breath breathed into him, became a living soul. Um, so Yeshua, having the power of God, take his previous existent nature and put it into the womb of Mary is definitely uniquely begotten. Another thing that Trinitarians talk about is this concept of eternal begotten. Like that is, that is the, I mean, talk about philosophy walking itself in a circle, painting itself into a corner. This eternal begotten thing is, I don't, I don't exactly know when that came along. Tell me in the live chat if you guys know. I don't know when that came along in the Trinitarian conversation. Uh, if it was at the Council of Nicaea, which I think I remember reading about it a little bit in there, it's still just, it's absolutely crazy because they're taking that begotten concept and trying to apply it to their, to their middle peg, which is the co-eternal idea. And therefore they say, well, he must be eternally begotten. 
you're like, well, if begotten means uniquely created, which is what it means, um, how is he eternally uniquely created? Like, what is it even, what is that? That's an oxymoron. That doesn't say anything. Created to be created is an, is an act of finality, something that's being done. And you can't just eternally stay within that act of action. So like just the language itself, this is, if you've ever studied philosophy, guys, the word ontology that you guys heard me use in these discussions is a philosophical term. That's even where that comes from. So this is why I say we, we need how to avoid the philosophy and stick with what, what the Father gave the prophets through his word and the Son of God, which is the, the prophet, the greatest of all the prophets, the Son of God. The Father, him, and all the other prophets before him, and the apostles who were also some of them prophets after, Peter and John, and like they we need to stick with the words of the prophets. This is what the Father gave to mankind, how he spoke to us, as Hebrews 1 1 says. Not through these church councils of men who are later philosophers trying to reinterpret doctrine for us. Um Ramiel X is asking, uh, how'd you know it was referring to the law when he was talking about the Sabbath? I don't know what verse you're referencing that you thought I was talking about. If you want to clarify, I can try to address that. Static Kingdom is asking, is Daniel 2, 45, 44 and 45 about Yahweh's kingdom or about Yeshua's? Um, what kind of... Well, you know, the Father and the Son are, are coming. So, I mean, the, the Son rules over as King of kings and lords of lords, but he's given that authority by the Father. So... Technically, it's, all, you know, the Father's going to come down to earth when the kingdom comes, if that's kind of what you're asking. But Yeshua is the actual king over that kingdom. But the Father will be there. So we'll, uh, just so I'm not having a misunderstanding or mis misconstruing your question, I'm going to go to the verse real quick. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left out to another people. It will shatter all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it but will itself stand forever. I mean, yeah, this is Psalm 110, 1 through 4, 1 through 3. Um, this is Psalm 2. This is uh, 6, through, 6 through 12. Uh, he appointed his king on Zion who will rule with an iron rod and shatter the kings, uh, do homage to the son, lest you perish in the way. I mean, this is the same. It's Again, it, the father and son are coming with the kingdom to set up the kingdom and destroy all the other uh, evil kingdoms that will be on the earth at that time. Um, lock Satan away, first and be second beast are thrown in the lake of fire, unclean spirits are thrown in the lake of fire, and his kingdom will be established forever. Um, even it'll be attacked again after a thousand years when Satan's let out, but it's never going away. It's established forever. So hopefully that's a decent answer for you, brother. Contrarian420 is asking, have I invited Jim Bob to... Yeah, if you go on my other channel, Brave Believer, I have a, a video where I try to talk to Jim Bob about this, but he rage quit. He just left because uh, he, you know, he's like, oh, I don't want to deal with this guy. He just left because they, they don't like being questioned, guys. Um, they really don't like being questioned. So this is where if you're going to try to question them, be prepared to get some abuse. They will not treat you nicely anymore. They will treat atheists and Muslims on the street nicer than they'll treat you once you start questioning them. It's a weird spirit. It's unfruitful. It's these, you know, if this were first century church councils that we read about in the, in the New Testament books, these people would not be in positions of authority. They, they put themselves in positions of authority because they may gain a church following or they may gain a, you know, a social media clout. But 
this this is someone completely out of order. If if they're going to start friction and contentiousness because you will not believe a creed that's undefined in Scripture, uh, you would not be walking orderly at that point. So, Paul will not choose you as a bishop or an elder or an overseer, at all. You would actually have to go back to Bible re-education camp at that point, right? If you wanted to be in a position of authority, but you can't eat, but you're denying that God has a body and that He's an actual spirit, like the prophets tell you, you're you're out, bro. You need to go keep studying your scriptures. <clears throat> Uh, Dalla Jacobson is asking, I, I didn't even mention omnipresent, so I'm not sure where you're getting this. Again, this is, Dalla, I know that you're a Trinitarian. <laughs> You've been on my channel for years, uh, in the comments for years, uh, shouting your disapproval. And um, I didn't mention anything about being omnipresent. So I just want to encourage you to continue studying the scriptures. Um, but Yahweh hears our prayers because we, he has uh, entire legions, myriads upon myriads of ministries of angels that are sent out uh, to to minister to those who are inheriting salvation. This is Hebrews 1.14. They record every word and deed that we say. That's our prayers too. And they have a hierarchical chain. They take it back to the Father and through the high priest Yeshua. So this is this is what the, the Bible describes as the, the angelic priesthood that ministers to mankind and relates messages between earth and heaven. So even though all of creation, because it's filled with the Spirit of the Lord, as Song of Solomon chapter 1, verse 7 says, can record your every word and deed. That's why heaven and earth can testify against you if it wants to. That's why the rocks can raise up and cry out if, they, if the Father chose for them to. Um, it's built into his creation, but there's an actual process that he's installed with his ministry and servants in order to relay information, prayers, um, appeals, petitions, complaints, injustice, and accountability. Okay? Hopefully that helps you. All right, guys, I think that's the only questions I'll be taking for this segment. Thanks for being here so much. Um, if you like this, hit the thumbs up. Um, if you didn't like it, leave a crazy comment. Tell me what you thought. Tell me how much of a heretic you think I am. Um, prove me right with everything I've said in this. Or maybe prove me wrong. Prove me that you can show good fruit. Prove to me that you can maintain your composure and be challenged on your philosophical disposition. Um. Because, I mean, that's that's what we're called to do. We're called to love each other first and foremost, but obviously everyone else, right? We're going to treat others as we want to be treated. That's how we exemplify our discipleship with Christ. So even though I'm not going to scream and shout and spit on the microphone, I have a scathing rebuke for Trinitarians. You need to repent. Your attitude's atrocious. It's not Christ-like. You're telling me I need to repent because I won't believe your creed and you don't want to accept me into the faith, and I'm telling you that you're gatekeeping and being a stumbling block to the faith, and your attitude is, is manure. Like, you need to repent. That's my soft-spoken, scathing rebuke for you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you guys being here. Thanks for all that you do to support us. Uh, words, letters. Oh, big shout-out to um, everyone that's been helping us with the baby registry. I got this awesome new, bug, this awesome new mug from... Uh, Brother and sister in the faith, they got they got some awesome stuff. We appreciate that. We'll be talking about more about that on our socials. But um, thanks so much for everyone that's already been doing stuff with the baby registry. That's awesome. 
So you guys are awesome. We'll see you. Walk in Christ. Walk in love. Um, just remember to keep it in context. Thank you.